very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show. This is Narain, your host. Today I'm super excited to have Doug Fettig, a CPA and business advisor with Aldrich CPAs and Advisors. Doug, welcome. Thank you so much, Narain. I really appreciate being here. Thank you, Doug. Um, I have heard of Aldrich CPA and Advisors uh, from my friends. Uh, I, I don't know a lot. Uh, what I know is that you have 10 CPAs or 10 team members who focus on serving 250 dentists out of 200 team members. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's correct, Narain. We have, uh, we have actually about 300 total team members, but, but 10 of us focus on working with our 250 dental clients around the country. Uh, so so the, the fun thing about that is we're able to develop a specialty and really understand the dental industry. Right. And um, I'm sure you work with people who are non-dentists. So what are some of the differences or what are some of the things you are able to do for dentists that, let's say, an average CPA may not be able to do for, um, for dentists? Great question. One of the benefits uh, of working not just with Aldrich but with with a dental specialist is that we understand how your uh, a dental practice's colleagues and peers operate. So we know the benchmarks. We know them in great detail. Every year we do a survey of our 250 clients, and we know what their lab costs are. We we understand how much they're getting from their hygiene. We we have all those details, and so we're able to take a look at an individual practice and bring that that broader perspective to bear. And when you're working with a, with a CPA who maybe you're their only dental client, it's just hard for that CPA, uh, nothing against them, but it's hard for them to bring that level of perspective and expertise when they don't work with other colleagues in the industry. Right, right. So for example, I do marketing for doctors. So I assume you look at marketing expenses, you look at the clients and how much uh, they're spending per new patient. Exactly. And, and the nice thing about also working with a specialist like Aldrich, so there's certain areas that we're involved in, primarily on the, the financial side, accounting, tax planning, uh, we set up retirement plans, we help with wealth management, but there's other areas that we don't do. We're not a broker, we're not lawyers, uh, we're not marketers. So Another benefit of working with a firm like Aldrich is when we talk to a dentist and we see they have a need in those areas, we're able to connect them with some of our trusted partners in the industry. Right, right. Because you focus on dentists, you know quite a few companies that work with dentists. So, you know, of course, you know which ones are good and which ones are not because you have clients and you look at their actual, you know, revenues and profits and all that stuff. Exactly. And we, we only want to work with trusted partners who are going to make, um, in a, to be transparent, to make us look good to our clients. So if a partner is going to come in and help a client grow their practice, that's the kind of partner we want to work with. Right. Let's get into some meat uh, because, of course, they're listening to this podcast and they want to you know, learn something from it. So let's start with something that um, um, you, know, you do that um, you are known for. That's cost segregation analysis. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about cost segregation analysis? Okay, so without getting too technical, 
What a cost segregation analysis is, let's say a dentist does a, a major leasehold improvement or, or does a new build-out, builds a new building for a million bucks, for example, a million dollars. Now, normally, if you're working with um, uh, an unsophisticated CPA, they, may, they might take all of those dollars and put them in long-term depreciation because of the building and the land and other things. So they might depreciate that million dollars over 39 and a half years, which is what you have to do for land, for example. Now, as a backup, all depreciation is, depreciation allows you to take the value of equipment or facilities and reduce it from your net income. So if you have $100,000 in depreciation for this year, you get to reduce your net income by that amount and therefore pay less in taxes because your recorded income to the IRS is less. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you do a cost segregation analysis, we're taking that million dollars that an unsophisticated CPA might have put in 39 and a half year depreciation, and we go in and we look at all the costs that are necessary to provide dentistry. So the plumbing, the wiring, the electricity, the HVAC system, the water, all those things are required to provide dentistry. So we segregate all of those costs from that million dollars and we move them up and we depreciate them over five years instead of 39 and a half years. And by doing that, by moving those costs up, we take the depreciation in the first five years and we're able to reduce your net income significantly in those five years by moving those costs up and depreciating them. So the cash flow impact to a practice can be six figures on a million dollar build out if you do a cost segregation analysis. Um, and one other thing, Lorraine, about cost seg, I talk to dentists all the time and they'll go, oh, shoot, I did a build out two years ago. Okay, you can go back in time, do the cost segregation analysis and adjust your tax returns. You can amend the returns. We've gone back as far as six or seven years and amended a dentist's returns and got them the benefit of that cost seg analysis. So don't despair if you just did a major leasehold improvement or a build out and didn't utilize this tool. It is a powerful game changing tool. Right. Now, can I choose to, let's say I did a build out. It takes me a couple of years to get my profits up. So can I start that five year, um, you know, depreciation, you know, when my profits are up in two years from today? Well, if that's a great question. And actually that leads to another point. What some people don't realize when you, when you don't work with a sophisticated CPA, um, sometimes a, uh, a CPA will take all of those costs and depreciate them the first year. But if you don't have much in the way of net income, there's not much benefit for you to leverage that depreciation early on. So what you want to do, so this also kind of segues with Section 179. Section 179 allows you to um, depreciate up to $500,000 worth of an equipment purchase. However, if you don't have much net, much net income that first year, if you utilize that depreciation all in the first year and wipe your, your net income down to zero, the tax, the tax benefit is negligible because you're down at the lower part of the stair step of the, of the tax code. You want to save some of that depreciation benefit for future years when you might be up in the 25, 28, 33, 39% tax bracket. I'm making hand gestures here to, to symbolize the tax stair step. Right, right. So you're saying, yes, you can move that depreciation to the years where you're going to get the most benefit. Well, you can. The only thing is, once you start to depreciate a piece of equipment, you have to decide how much to take in that first year for Section 179. 
So let's say you have $100,000 in total you're working with. If you decide to use $50,000 that first year, the other $50,000 then has to be spread out over years two through five. So once you choose a chunk in that first year, the rest has to go for the remaining four years in equal, in equal amounts. Right. Right. Makes, makes perfect sense. Um, I'll, I'll throw in a quick story, Noreen. We worked with a dentist out of Houston, um, and, and thoughts go out to Houston right now with everything they're going through. But we worked with a dentist from Houston, and, and recently she called us up, and she had just started out her practice, and she had purchased a bunch of equipment, and her CPA depreciated everything in the first year when she had almost no net income. And now in future years, when her net income is high, she's lost the benefit of that depreciation, and she was really almost in tears at the fact that how much money her CPA cost her by trying to be a hero up front and have no taxable income that first year. So it plays into your point about utilizing tax planning, which is thinking out two, three, five, ten years, versus someone just doing your taxes. You know what? I, I, I mean, I had a bunch of CPAs, and I hated most of them because <laughs> I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but you know they know money but they they're not smart about money you know what i mean like 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 they will tell you at the end you know you know let's say your tax filing is on such and such a date oh here is your you know thing send it to the government they are not proactive they don't help us plan like i mean I, most of them I, I don't know why they just they're so reactive they're after the fact they're not you know like they're not playing offense they're playing defense i don't know why that's the case though so listen to you talk about you know uh, you know, thinking and planning and, you know, being in front is like refreshing because, um, yeah, like, you know, nobody wants to pay even a cent more than what they need to pay because they work really hard for their money. Sure. I, I love your analogy of offense versus defense because you're right. An old school CPA is going to be looking in the rearview mirror and is going to be well, working with your numbers after the fact. A proactive CPA is going to sit down with you several times throughout the year and look at ways to maximize tax strategies and the, and the tax benefits you can get. Because once once December 31st hits, if your CPA comes to you in February or March, it's too late to do anything for the prior year. And, and, and we work with some docs who get frustrated because their CPA um, comes to them with a surprise in March. Who wants to get a thirty dollars or $40,000 surprise tax bill in March? You, you probably don't, right, Noreen? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what happens. A, a CPA doesn't engage in proper planning. And if you give the CPA the information he or she needs, they should never give you a surprise at tax time. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, um, and it's just so frustrating that, you know, just by being a tiny bit proactive, just by having that 15-minute conversation up front, you know, they could do magic, but many of them don't, you know, because they're, like you said, looking at the rearview mirror as opposed to the, you know, being proactive. Yeah, if, if your CPA is not engaging with you in, in tax planning discussions and and is not looking through the through the, the front windshield versus the rearview mirror, then, then you may want to look around for someone who is going to be proactive with your finances and, and become a true financial partner. Right, right. Let's talk about fraud and embezzlement. How do you, as a CPA, catch that? Like, what, what are the warning signs? What do you notice? Well, first of all, so when I, when I do my seminars on fraud, 
I'd like to start out with an old joke. Um, two out of every four dental practices have experienced fraud. The other two just don't know it. And, th and, then, and then you get this nervous laughter in the crowd. So here's the deal with fraud. Most dental practices are, are small businesses. They, you know, they may be one dentist, a couple of hygienists, some staff, maybe there's eight or 10 people total. And small businesses are, are at the greatest risk for fraud because they can't afford to put in a level of controls that a large company can. And the other, the other trap that a lot of dental practices fall into is that, so you're the dentist, Narain, and you got through dental school, and you just want to be a dentist, right? You love being a dentist, but you hate the business side of things. You don't really care about that stuff. So you, you get Helen, who's your trusted bookkeeper, and Helen's been with you for 20 years, and you trust Helen like a daughter, and she's like a member of the family. And so you don't have to worry about the accounting or anything because Helen's going to take care of everything. Well, that's when a dental practice really uh, becomes at risk. When you give one person too much control over your finances and no one else is double-checking their work or, or involved, that's when you're at greatest risk. And I hear horror stories all the time, Narain, about dental practices who who gave their office manager or their bookkeeper uh, too much um, too much control and not enough oversight, and it's really sad. Right, right. How do you, can you pick it up as an accountant, as a CPA? Can you see these things, or is it hard? Well, it, it, it can be hard, but there's some, there's some very common warning signs. Some of the warning signs, uh, uh, an obvious one is if, if you notice uh, one, of your, one of your team members living beyond their means. So hopefully they're smarter than, than to pull up in a Lamborghini or something on an office manager's salary. But, uh, but obviously if someone's living beyond their means, if you know one of your team members is going through a particularly financially stressful time, whether it's um, their own personal finances, whether it's medical expenses or something that's creating tremendous stress on their life, that's another warning sign. If you, let's say if your CPA is working with your bookkeeper or office manager and your team member is, is very defensive when certain questions are asked about the accounting, that, that defensiveness is another warning sign. So the best thing a lot of practices can do, one of the single best things uh, you can do as the dentist is to have a, a small level of involvement in your finances. And by that I mean, some of our best practice dentists, what they'll do is once a month, they'll have a 15-minute huddle with the appropriate team members, and they'll talk about the finances of the practice. Here's where our production is. Here's where our collections are. Um, here's where our expense ratios are. And so that way, the team understands that you understand the finances you're involved. Uh, here's, a, here's another thing you can do. Uh, the, the bank statement, if you still get a hard copy bank statement, that should go directly to your house. It shouldn't go to your office and your office manager shouldn't open that. You get that bank statement at home, you go through it, and you come in the next day, and you say to Helen, Helen, I don't recall what this uh, $1,200 check was on the bank statement. Can you pull the supporting documentation for me? Well, in reality, you probably know very well what that $1,200 check is for, but it's your way of saying to Helen, you better be able to pull supporting documentation for that check, right? right. And, then, and then Helen... And the other team, they think you're going through every item on the bank statement. You're not. You're just cherry-picking a couple to let them know that you're involved in the process. So you can, can, you, see the, can you see the dynamic of that, the benefit of that? I do. I do. Um, here, here, 
Here's another tip uh, for, for the audience. One of the single easiest things you can do, for a lot of you, if you have um, a building electronic access system to your building or to your office, if you take those electronic access records and once a month or so you review them to see if any of your team members are entering, the, entering your, your building or your office at off, off hours, if, if a team member is entering at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, that might raise your eyebrows, correct? Yes. And that is so simple and easy to do. Probably the easiest thing you can do. Um, some other things you want to do to protect your practice, you, you can never fully guarantee you've eliminated fraud, but if you make Helen, that bookkeeper, take, take a vacation a couple times a year and someone else looks under the hood and gets involved in the bookkeeping when she's gone, that right there is a very effective, effective approach. Um, if you have somebody else, if someone else is creating the, uh, the cash deposits, have someone else verify them and take them to the bank so there's two people involved in the, in the deposit process. Simple things that let your team know that you're involved in the finances. And it doesn't take a ton of your time. It just, it just shows them that you know what's going on on that side of your practice. Right, right. You know, I think the challenge that most dentists face is, like you said, they love to be a dentist and mm -hmm. they don't enjoy, you know, bookkeeping. They don't enjoy accounting. So they tend to, like you said, trust people, not, not, not only because they're good people, but because it's easy to trust somebody and not worry about it. I, I've, I've talked to dentists who they literally don't even know how much cash they have in the bank. They just don't. They, they have acquiesced all responsibility, which kind of. When you think about it, it is your money, right? It's your dental practice, um, right. and I get that you're—I get that you're not a CFO, and I get that you're—you're you're never going to learn the in intricacies of the tax code. But from a big picture perspective, if you have an idea of how your practice is evolving and growing, otherwise, how can you achieve? Forget about fraud. How can you achieve the full potential of your practice if you don't understand your benchmarks and how you compare to your peers and, and where there's areas you can improve? Just like any CEO, you need to know those areas if you want to maximize the, the value of your business. Right. Can you help with that, though? I mean, what I'm saying is, like, you know, I, I, I run a marketing business, and what they love about what we do is it's all done for them. So pretty much uh, we build the websites, we do SEO, we do social media, we do reputation. We have, like, you know, 25 things we do, and the phone rings. As long as the phone calls are go growing, they are happy and they just love the fact that, yes, they're involved, but they do what we tell them to do and they just help us out, you know, maybe an hour a, year, you know, an hour a month. And then we put in 35 hours of work behind the scenes every month and the phone just magically rings. Can you do that with finances or not really? Well, actually, you, you can. And this is an interesting segue. So, so what, um, with technology... What a lot of small businesses use now is they use cloud accounting. And all that means is instead of Helen running a report uh, in QuickBooks on a desktop, you use a, you use a cloud accounting tool. Now, QuickBooks has one. We use one called Xero, which we think is more elegant than QuickBooks. But basically... Actually, I, I use Xero as well. Yeah, we switched do. from QuickBooks to Xero. Yeah. We, we have transferred all of our dentists to, to Xero. We found it to be a better tool and an easier tool to use. And so with Xero... We connect to the, to the dentist's bank accounts and all their credit cards, all their electronic transactions, and we set up rules. So when that dentist goes in and pays his, 
his dental supply bill to Patterson or Shine or whoever, it flows into their financial statements automatically. So at the end of every day, that dentist can pull up on their smartphone a dashboard and it shows where their production is on the 10th of the month, where their collections are. It compares it to how they were doing last month or the same month last year. Um, it pulls up their expenses by category and it'll give you an alert if your expenses are outside of a certain range. So all of a sudden, as a, as a business owner, you have real-time information in the palm of your hand versus having to ask Helen to run a report in QuickBooks. Helen's busy. Then you have to send that report to your CPA. They have to download it. They have to analyze it. No, we're looking at the same information you're looking at because we're also connected to zero with you. So we both, we're both looking at the information real-time. It's, it's a powerful evolution, and it allows a dentist to manage their business because they have the information daily in the palm of their hand. And what you're saying is, if I notice, if you're ahead. saying that I should have made 20,000 today, but according to my numbers, I'm only making 15, then you know something is fishy. Exactly. So, so not only is it, it sort of certainly helps from a fraud perspective because you know if there's a reconciling item or something, but, yeah. but almost even more powerfully, it, it, it helps you become a true CEO and it helps you manage your business because you have real-time data. Without, without real-time data, you, you can't make as effective of a business decision. Right, right. Because maybe the reason they didn't want to look is so painful. You have to call Helen and Helen is busy and it takes two weeks. Now, now you can be on vacation in, in Paris. You look up an item on, on your dashboard. You see, a, you see an issue. You send us a message within the Zero app. We're looking at the same information you are. There's nothing to transfer. There's nothing to download. It's all in the cloud. It's beautiful. Right. And it's all integrated, right? So my credit cards, everything is just all pulled together in one place. Yeah. It's all pulled together. Now, if there are some, and it can connect to any, pretty much any payroll system as well. So you can have your payroll connected to zero. If, if, a, if an office still has some manual transactions or cuts manual checks, those would have to be inputted. But zero helps to encourage an office to really become as electronic as they can because it, then it flows automatically into the system. Right. So is are all your clients on zero? Well, um, most of them. We we actually um, transitioned most of our clients from whatever whatever else they were using. Uh, we have a few holdouts, which you know is understandable. Some people don't don't see the uh, the ease of use. They just are focused more on the transition, and the transition only takes a couple of days. It's pretty painless. So the the right. vast majority are on zero. Makes sense. Um, so let's talk about benchmarking. So can you give us some numbers uh, or any kind of insights based on your benchmark reports? So we have, um, we have some reports. I, I, um, I don't have one in front of me, but I, but I know the numbers fairly well. So what we do every year is, and you can get benchmarking information out on the, the web, of course. What we do is we survey our 250 dental clients and we come up with benchmarks. For example, for our 250 dentists, um, the average the average production last year was almost exactly a million dollars. That was the average production. Okay. Now some some docs are you know one and a half to two million. Others are 750 thousand. But a million dollar production is the average. And so when we look at our docs, we look at we look at that number. We look at um, how many operatories do they have? 
do they have three or four? Uh, we expect to see we expect to see 250,000 plus per operatory in production per year. Um, and those those numbers can be kind of intimidating sometimes for a dentist because sometimes they don't like seeing how they compare against their peers if, if they're not happy with the comparison. But what I like to tell our dental clients is that if you were the CEO in another business, well, let's say, okay, I'm going to take a big picture example. Let's say you're the CEO of General Motors, right? Do you, do you think the CEO of General Motors knows exactly how much it costs them to make a car? And also, they know exactly how much it costs Ford or Chrysler to make a car. They have that information, right? So if you're the CEO of a dental practice, you should know what are my lab expenses? Are my marketing expenses on the low end? So are my marketing expenses 2%? Okay, that's really low because... The average dental practice is going to spend 5%, 6% for a new practice, maybe even 10% on marketing. So if you're sitting there with a practice that's floundering and you're only spending 1%, 1 1.5% on marketing, we're going to say to you, now, wait a minute. This, you know, your peers that have been successful have had, have had a strategy of spending more of their, of their production and funneling it back into the practice in marketing. So we have that discussion with them. Right. Absolutely. So, for example, you know, um, like people invest a lot of money on equipment, but they don't spend enough money on marketing to drive revenue. So that's increasing their expenses without increasing their revenues. Yeah. Another way we use data is... Somebody might be... Oh, spending, go ahead. Go ahead. No, on the I other hand, somebody might be spending too much on marketing. You know, like I know exactly. clients who spend 20% on marketing because they're using print and a lot of the outdated techniques that don't work anymore. So, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, or, we Go ahead. Them, or we ask them, show us, show us the money and, and not to, not to um, put the spotlight on marketing, but if you're spending 10% on marketing, what are the results? What are the, what are the data and metrics that you're getting to show the success of that marketing program, correct? Right. How many patients are you getting? How much is the patient worth? Mm -hmm. um, another way we can use our data. Let's say a, a dentist decides to go digital, so they buy a they buy a you know a cone beam or they buy a digital some digital equipment, which is a significant expense. We can help them understand the growth in production that they should expect to see over a certain length of time, and therefore the payback period for that piece of equipment and what the ROI should be. Because a lot of times, when a dentist buys a, a piece of digital equipment, biggest mistake they make is they, they don't go all in. They don't train their team. They don't get excited about it. They don't use that piece of equipment. And then they get disappointed with the results. So when, when you're going to make that, that commitment to digital, for example, the ones, our clients that have success are the ones that jump in the swimming pool all in. And they use that piece of equipment. They train their team. They're excited about it. They leverage their investment. And those are metrics that we can help you understand and help you plan out, okay, if I decide to go and and get a CEREC or a cone beam or whatever in two years, here's what it's going to cost. Here's the potential increase in production. Here's how we think that's going to play out. So you're coming with a business plan to how, for how to grow your practice. Right, right. Um, let's talk about... Wealth management, do you help with that? Or how does that work? 
So we have a we have a, um, a separate group within Aldrich, which is um, our wealth management advisors, Aldrich Wealth Advisors. When I say separate group, there's some there's some SEC regulations that put a firewall up between um, a wealth management company and, and the rest of the company. But but in reality, yes. So for some of our clients that have wealth management needs, what we do is we have um, one of our wealth team members will sit down with them and really kind of do a, a financial physical, like a checkup. So so here's where you are. Let's say you're 50 years old. Uh, let's say you have $500,000 saved for retirement. This is where you have your investments. But then they go much deeper than that. Okay, you have three children. They're how old. You plan on sp- you plan on helping them for college to what degree? You want to retire at a certain age, and you want to be able to live a certain lifestyle. So they incorporate all those components and come up with a with a wealth plan and an investment plan, and that plan varies because I talked to some dentists who, unfortunately, have made what I think is the biggest financial mistake uh, that anybody can make. So here's what happens, Narain. Uh, uh, someone gets out of dental school, and nowadays, unfortunately, they get out with three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. So what happens is someone says to them, "Hey, um, whatever you do," some well-meaning person gives them this advice: "Whatever you do, before you do anything else, pay off every single penny of your debt." Okay. So what the dentist does is they spend the first fifteen or twenty years of their career paying off their student loan debt and making double payments on their mortgage and paying off their practice debt. And then they come to us when they're 45 and they go, hey, guess what? I'm debt-free. And we go, that's great. How much have you saved for retirement? And they kind of look over their shoulder and look back at us. And the answer sometimes, believe it or not, is zero. They save nothing for retirement. Right. So, so now they have to play catch-up. And so now they have to start putting wheelbarrows full of money away, which necessitates a lifestyle change. And and that's the biggest that's the biggest financial mistake that I see not just dentists but the general public make. There's such a thing as good debt, and low interest low interest debt is good debt when you can take some of that other money and start utilizing the power of compound returns in a retirement plan. Right. What they do is like a, a, a student, a medical student who's living for forty thousand, now all of a sudden starts living for two hundred thousand. Instead of you know, hopefully living for eighty thousand and hopefully putting some of that money away. Exactly. But so that so the so the doctor gets out of out of medical or dental school, and the spouse is like, "Gosh darn it, honey, that was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Let's get a nice house." So they get maybe <laughs> maybe too big a house. They get two nice cars. They start taking some nice vacations, and then they have these wonderful things. I have a couple of them myself. They're called kids, but kids are not <laughs> free, right? <laughs> And so it, it's easy to spend every penny. People do. Right. But, but what a wealth management people will do and what a good wealth advisor will do is sit you down and say, here's where you are today. Here's where you want to get to. You want to retire at a certain date with a certain amount of money. So what do we have to do with your investments to get you there? So some people have to take a little more risk to reach their goals. And other people that have been getting an earlier start, maybe can take a less risky approach to try to reach those goals. Right. Makes makes sense. Talk about buying a practice or selling a practice or preparing to sell a practice. I have a lot of clients um, 
you know, who are thinking about retiring in the next two to three years or, you know, thinking about retiring in the next 10 years. And some of them are very smart. They start preparing for it. What I mean is they start thinking like the buyer. So they're thinking, you know, my business name is, you know, drjonesdds.com. The buyer may not be interested in drjonesdds.com, right? So they slowly start rebranding them. They slowly start coming up with a new name. They also realize when the buyer buys the business, they want the patient flow, right? They want 20 new patients every month coming in. So they start putting the marketing in place, the systems in place. So the phone keeps ringing every month, whether they are there or not. Because the buyer is not interested in buying a job. The buyer is interested in buying a business that's going to make them money and make them more and more money over time. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you help people prepare to sell the business so they can get the most out of their business? Well, first of all, great leading, great question. You you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head. But before I answer that, I just want to let your audience know. Um, so we have a variety of, of checklists and, and things that you can use for transitions or some of these other topics. That way you don't have to, you know, you, you have some information going into the, the scenario. But um, I'll, I'll briefly tell you a story that I tell when I do some of my presentations. We had a dentist he was 62 years old. He called us up, and he had had some health issues and wanted to sell his practice. So, so we came out and met him, and and he came in and said, you know, I'm 62, bad knees. I just want to get out of the game. Well, when we walked up to his dental practice, the outside needed some landscaping work. Looked a little bit tired. Came in the reception area. You know, the carpet was somewhat worn, a little bit tattered. Looked a little tired. Um, so, do you think that this dentist had maintained the, the his practice technology-wise and had, had the latest and greatest equipment? No, of course not. It's like an old house. The outside of, of his practice, like the outside of a house, told us what to expect inside the house. So he had kind of gone into hibernation mode for the past five or ten years and hadn't really kept up on new technology. So he, um, he did about a million dollars a year, so, you know, a healthy practice, but he was hoping to get... 100% of annual production in the sale of that practice. And we said, okay, first of all, there is no rule of thumb, but if there was, let's use a rule of thumb of 70 to 80% of your annual productions in the sale of that practice. However, in your case, since you went into hibernation mode, you're going to have a, 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 a new dentist or a younger dentist come in and see you haven't done anything with digital, you haven't been updated. They're not going to offer you they're not going to offer you um, 100% or 70%. They might offer you 60% or 50% for, the, for your practice, right? So by him not planning out for the sale of that practice, he was costing himself a significant amount of money. And that's the biggest mistake we make, we see, is that dentists wake up one day and decide they want to get out of the game and sell. And that's, that's not the best way to do it. You want to be planning this out for at least five years. Because the, pro- the process might involve, it might involve bringing an associate and becoming a joint partner with them and then selling and, and working in the practice on the back end to maximize the value. There's a lot of ways to sell your practice, but the worst way is to wake up one day and say, I'm tired of doing dentistry and I'm ready to sell. Right. So what you're saying is 
by being proactive, they could literally make an extra three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars towards their retirement fund. No question, because if you're proactive and you keep that practice vibrant and growing and current, the value that that uh, a purchasing dentist is going to see, they're going to come in and see a, a, a practice that's clicking on all cylinders, and they're going to see something that can come in and then, with their own ideas, hopefully take even to a higher level. But if they're not going to come in and see a renovation project. If you're if you're a renovation project, they're rightly so going to lowball your practice. That's what you or I would do, correct? Right. And also, the mindset of the young dentist, they, they don't want to work hard. They want to work smart, right? So if they notice that you're not working smart, like, for example, uh, you know, I had a client, um, he, he wanted to sell the practice, and um, nobody wanted to buy it because he was not getting new patients. Uh, so the new guy doesn't want to come and now start all over again and build it from scratch. So he spent two to three years improving his marketing. So he was getting 25 new patients. Um, now it's a different ball game because now it's like a, he's creating new revenue streams every month and the practice is going up and up and up. Now when the people see that, nobody wants to buy a stagnant practice. They want to buy a growing practice, right? So when people see growth, when people see... Uh, you know, working smart. Like we talk about technology, right? Technology allows you to work smart, not hard. You know, you don't have to manually enter things and information is available and so forth. So so I think part of the challenge is the young people don't want to work hard. So they're going to be looking at these things. They're going to know if you have been working smart or hard. If, they, if you have been working smart, they know when they come in, they're going to have an easier time running that practice and growing it versus you know, repairing all the damage or repairing all the neglect. Exactly. If they come in, a, a smart a smart purchasing dentist, they're going to take a look at your truly active patients. A lot of times a, a doc will tell me, I have 3,000 active patients. And I'm like, no, you don't, because I'm going to define an active patient as someone you've seen in the last 12 or 18 months. And I guarantee you it's right. not 3,000, right? And, and, and so a smart dentist, the purchaser is going to come in, he's going to take a look at those treatment plans. And he's going to take a look at the type of dentistry you've been providing and what kind of treatment plans you're writing. So they're going to see in detail if you're on the cutting edge of dentistry. Or they're going to see if there's untapped potential because you haven't been doing treatment plans in certain areas. And maybe they bring in some skills that you don't have. And so the smart purchasing dentist is, going to, is, going to, is really going to analyze. He or she's going to analyze and assess your practice and understand either where they can add additional value or why they think they can keep it clicking on uh, like a well-oiled machine. And so yeah, I mean it's like it's like let's say you have a thousand patients. If you are really seeing your patients two times a year for hygiene visits, that means you need two thousand hours of hygiene, you know, for thousand mm-hmm. patients. That means you need a full-time hygienist working five days a week. So a smart dentist only will take five minutes to, you know, say, you know what, you really don't have three thousand patients. Right. right. And the next question they're gonna ask is it's just like a fixer upper, right? Do I want to pay, you know, cut rate prices because it's a fixer-upper or do I want to pay top dollars because it's just perfect? Um, and so here's another little aside. Well, here's what I tell the purchasing dentist. When you buy a practice, and sometimes the, the, one of the things you should do as the purchaser is you should do a fee analysis. So you want to know what the fees are compared to your competitors in that same zip code and, and see if you're at the 50 percentile of, of what your, the average fees are, the 75th percentile. It's an opportunity for you to adjust the fees to the market 
And then if you have a patient who makes a comment about, oh gosh, I noticed that the, the cost, some patients won't even notice. Some might say something. If someone makes a comment about your fees, it's an opportunity for you to be proud of that. Never back away from your fees, never hide. And you say, you know what? It was important for me that I'm gonna provide you with the best world-class dentistry I can. In order to do that, I've had to upgrade some of the equipment and technology. So now I'm confident I'm gonna be able to give you world-class dental care. That's how you explain a fee increase to a patient. Right. You don't apologize. You you explain to them why you did what you did to pro provide better care for the patient. Yep. Oh, you want me to repeat that? No, absolutely. No, I, I got it. Okay. Yeah. And so it's a great opportunity for the purchasing dentist to come in and explain why things are different. By different, I mean better. It's a great opportunity. Doug, I would love to talk to you for more, but uh, we need to wrap up. So if I need to get a hold of you or your company, how can I do that? So um, you can certainly go onto our website, uh, Aldrich, A-L-D-R-I-C-H, aldrichadvisors.com. Um, you can shoot me an email, uh, which is dfetig, D-F as in Frank, E-T-T-I-G, at aldrichadvisors.com. Or you can give me a call at 503 716 9316. Perfect. We'll include all of that information in the call notes so people can easily get a hold of you. So the website, and, the phone number, and the email. And I'd be more than happy if anybody wants any more information or checklists or some of our uh, benchmarking information, I'd be more than happy to share that with your audience. That'll be great. Yeah, if you have any of those, just let us know and we can include those uh, downloadable links uh, on our website. Perfect. Thank you very much, Doug. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show.